the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or state law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He was recognized in 2012 as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. His office number is 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground for free. Welcome to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hello, everybody. For those of you who don't know about the show, the show is divided in different parts. The first part of the show, we talk about estate planning and elder law. And the idea behind estate planning is to pass assets from one generation to the next, paying the least amount in taxes that we need to pay legally, avoiding going through court, avoiding probate, and as far as elder law is concerned, trying to save assets from nursing home bills. The second part of the show, we have interviews. Tonight, we're going to be we have two interviews. One of my favorite authors, Scott Amon, who had a book out about Jimmy Stewart, Henry Fonda, their friendship and their political differences. Later, we're going to talk to Steve Forbes, and we're going to talk to Steve Forbes about taxes and tariffs and things like that. But we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about toy soldiers, because some of you may not know, but Malcolm Forbes, Steve's father, had one of the largest, probably the largest toy sold collection of all time, which sold off for $2.3 million about 20-some-odd years ago. Now, if anybody out there wants to take a look at my toy soldier collection, which it's not a toy soldier collection, it's a military miniature collection, (laughs) mostly of the Civil War, you can check on our website, and you have a story there. It was put on WCBS News. The New York Post also did an article about our collection. So you're more than welcome to take a look at it at our Facebook. And, and Chris Cordani, our producer, how do you get onto the Facebook uh, website? Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors is the Facebook page. So all you do is go on to Facebook, type in the search bar, Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors, and it will be there. You can also check out AskMikeTheLawyer.com. That's Mike Connors' official website. You can get the links to our YouTube channel and Twitter page there as well. Meanwhile, getting back to estate planning and elder law, we're going to be doing seminars in Brooklyn toward the end of April. Now, we do seminars, we rotate. We're going to be doing Brooklyn at the end of April. We're going to be doing Queens the middle end of May. And then we're going to do Brooklyn and Staten Island. I mean, I'm sorry, Staten Island and Manhattan in June. But if you want to attend our seminars in Brooklyn in April, we're going to be at the Greenhouse Cafe Monday, April 23rd. We're going to have our first seminar at 11 o'clock in the morning, 3 p.m. in the afternoon, 7 o'clock at night. That's at the Greenhouse Cafe, 7717 Third Avenue. Admission is free, but please tell us if you're going to be there because we need to set the room up properly for the amount of guests we have. Wednesday, April 25th, we're going to be in Sheepshead Bay at Buckley's, 2926 Avenue S. Same times, 11 o'clock, 3 p.m., 7 p.m. That's Wednesday, April 25th. 
Thursday, April 26th, we're going to be in Park Slope at the Montauk Club at 11 o'clock and 3 p.m. That's at the Montauk Club at 25 8th Avenue. When you go to the seminars, you can ask any question you want at the end. And we, we try to answer all the questions, and I think usually we're pretty successful at doing that. But if you have a question that's been bugging you or whatever, write it down, bring it in, and at the end of the seminar, when, if I haven't answered your question during the seminar, ask your question from the floor, and we'll answer that question. If you want to see me in semi-private, you know, off to the side in the room or whatever, more than happy to do that for you. So if you have any questions about estate planning and elder law, attend one of our seminars, write your questions down, and we'll try to answer them. And Beth, I think you have a question that uh, is asked at a lot of seminars. Yes. If we, you know, I usually read the email questions. I'm going to put a few email questions together and ask you to give a, a small taste of what you do at the seminars, if you don't mind. People have wills, they have trusts, they have um, powers of attorney, health care proxies. You talk about all that, but who do you put as your trustee or your executor or your guardian? And that is very confusing for people. We get questions about that all the time. Could you do me a favor and just start from the beginning and explain the what these positions are and and why people choose the people they do. Okay, so first we'll start with the most basic estate planning tool, the, the will. Now, the will appoints an executor. The executor is the person you choose to wrap up your legal financial business matters after you're gone. Everybody should have a will for no other reason to appoint an executor. And again, the executor is the person you choose to wrap up your legal financial business matters after you're gone. 90, 95% of the time, the executor is going to be a family member. doesn't have to be. Let's say if you're leaving everything to charity and maybe your family members are not crazy about you leaving everything to charity, well, then you can appoint somebody else to be your executor. For instance, occasionally we act as executors of the law firm when you're leaving most of your assets to charity and you don't have family members. But the executor, again, is the person you choose to wrap up your legal financial business matters after you're gone. Anybody can be an executor. Some people get confused. Can I? Can the executor be a beneficiary of my will? 90, 95% of the time, the executor will be a beneficiary under the will. So if you have three children, you might choose one child to be the executor. If you have, some people say, I don't want a committee. I want to choose one child, the oldest child, the, the child's a CPA, whatever, to be executor. Other people say, you know what? I want all of my children to get involved, and they th- choose all three children to be executors. That's a personal choice. That's one of the things we talk over when we're, discussing your estate planning. A will is, everybody should have a will, and I'm, I'm not discounting the importance of a will. But as important as a will is, it has a lot of limitations. And one of the limitations, it only takes effect after you're gone. So if you want to put somebody in place to pay your bills, protect your assets, God forbid you have a stroke or another power of attorney, uh, another disabling illness, then we use a power of attorney. A power of attorney is a notarized document now in New York witnessed by two people where you appoint some somebody to pay your bills, protect your assets. God forbid you have a stroke or another disabling illness. It's a very important document. Now, ordinarily, it's going to be the same person that's your executor under your will that's your power of attorney, somebody you can trust. Does it have to be? No. You could have, let's say, some people like to have checks and balances. They have their son as executor. They have their daughter as power of attorney. Maybe another child as a health care proxy. 
And what's a healthcare proxy? A healthcare proxy is somebody who makes medical decisions on your behalf if you can't speak for yourself. Again, in those type of circumstances, you could have one child wearing three hats, executive, power of attorney, healthcare proxy. In other circumstances, you could have one child as your executor, one child as your power of attorney, and one child as your healthcare proxy because maybe you want checks and balances. You want to give your children different jobs. Obviously, maybe you have a CPA who's a son. And he may be your executor. Maybe you have a daughter who's a doctor. Maybe she's going to be your healthcare proxy. You know, and there, there are other reasons to go that. And there's no right answer ahead of time. But if you want to come in at Connors and Sullivan, you, you can give us a call, come in, and we'll talk about it. Now, some of the other terms that are thrown around, guardian. Ordinarily, the term we use for guardian, that would be the person you choose. Let's say if you have children under the age of 18 years of age, the guardian is a person you choose to take care of your children until they reach the age of 18 years. Very important, especially if you have children over eight, under 18, you choose the person to take care of them if something happens to you. If you have a disabled child, you may want to appoint a guardian form. Again, if you have a disabled relative, you may want to appoint a guardian form. A guardian is a person who takes care of their financial and living arrangements. It's something we want to avoid if we're planning in advance. We want to do documents where we either have a power of attorney to put in place or whatever, but a guardian or guardianship is where somebody else manages the assets and in some cases the person of either a disabled person, if you're under 18, you're disabled, or person, let's say, under a disability, they had a stroke. And the reason I use a stroke, that's usually our most crippling illness in today's world. Then we talk about a trust. What is a trust? A trust is a family contract. It's, let's say, if you own a house, it's your house as long as you're alive. After you're gone, it goes to the next generation, tax-free under most circumstances. doesn't go through court. doesn't go through probate. Your children can sell the house the day after you're gone. It's your house as long as you're alive. After you're gone, it passes to the next generation. The trustee on the trust is the person in charge of the trust. Let's say if you have children, you may want your children as the trustees, and they sell the house after you're gone. It's very similar to the executor under will. It's the same job. The executor under the will takes control of those assets that are in your name alone when you pass away. The trustee of the trust manages those assets that are in the trust when you pass away. So for medical decisions, I should say, that for medical decisions, you should have one child first, another child second, so forth and so on, because the doctor really has to rely on one person to make a decision. So if you want more clarification about these issues, give us a call at 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500. Either make an appointment at our office, or if you want to attend one of the seminars, please let them know, and they'll tell you when the next seminars are going to be in your neighborhood. How can I protect my family if something happens to me? What if I need to go to a nursing home? What will happen to our savings, our home? What's the best way to give my home to my kids? Who will help us take care of Grandpa? These and many other questions can be answered with a phone call to Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, 718-238-6500. Mike Connors, one of New York Magazine's top lawyers, has over 30 years of estate planning and elder law experience. Mike and his team of professionals will help you protect your assets from probate, taxes, and nursing home costs so you can have peace of mind knowing you and your family will be taken care of and protected. I'm Mike Connors, founder of Connors & Sullivan. People don't plan to fail, they fail to plan. The time to plan is now. I'm Beth Connors. Call today for a free initial consultation with one of our experienced lawyers. Connors and Sullivan in Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, and Staten Island. Call 718-238-6500, 718-238-6500, or connorsandsullivan.com. We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death, and it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. 
His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, accompanied by my wife, Beth. Hello. If, if you want to schedule an appointment with me and one of the other attorneys in our office, we have offices in Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, and Manhattan. And how hard is to schedule an appointment? It's not hard at all. Pick up the phone and dial 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. You can schedule an appointment with me or one of the other attorneys in our office to figure out your estate plan. There's no one right answer for everybody, but there is a wrong answer for a lot of people, and that's to do nothing. And after you schedule the appointment with me, especially if we're in our Brooklyn office, if you want to take a tour around the office and see our Civil War military miniatures, you're more than welcome to do that. It was highlighted recently in, in CBS News, the Channel 2 News, and the New York Post. And, and Beth, do you have a question you want to ask on behalf of the audience about it? Well, a lot of the people, when you when you walk through the office, you've got display cabinets all over the place with all the soldiers in them. The most fun part is when you do have the ability to talk to somebody about it, you can, you, it's, it's not that you've just put these little guys marching in a row, you've created particular battles. Um, if you don't mind, why don't you, never mind all the other offices or every place else in, in Brooklyn, but just talk about the, what you've set up in your office, just your personal office. Okay, well, in our my own office, my personal office, I have, you know, a display of the 14th Brooklyn, the 14th Brooklyn Regiment. And, of course, one of the interesting things about the Brooklyn Regiment is they had distinctive uniforms. You had, you know, red pants, red cap, and they were called the Red-Legged Devils. And the other interesting thing about a 14th Brooklyn, outside of the fact that they were from Brooklyn, they were one of the few regiments in the Civil War that used the name of their city, not the state, because they got in a dispute with the Democratic governor at the beginning of the Civil War, and they listened to the call from Lincoln for volunteers, and they marched out to Washington to save the Union ahead of you know some of the other soldiers from New York State. So they always they got a little ticked about that, so they always used their local title, the 14th Brooklyn, and one of the best regiments of the Civil War for the three years that they were in service. Also... You know, in my office, we have a little bit of a display of the Battle of Newton Station. Now, here I'm deviating from history because the model I'm using for the Battle of Newton Station is from the John Wayne, John Ford movie of the Horse Soldiers, where we have, you know, a climactic battle where the Confederates are charging up the one-armed major and the soldiers behind the barricades and rebel yell and everything else. That's what we've got on display. The real battle of, of... Newton Station was very mild affair. There were 20 or 30 convalescing Confederate soldiers there, and then about 20 Southerners who were scouts for the Union dressed in Confederate uniforms came into the town and took it over practically without firing a shot. Of course, Beth, you had two relatives with the uh, with Grierson's raid, which whom the horse soldiers was based on. 
Right. They were some of the Confederate scouts. I mean, my, my family. I, Not Confederates. They were Union scouts scout. dressed in Confederate uniforms. Yes. Well, they were actually, they had been conscripted by the Mississippi, by Mississippi State. So they were um, actually Confederate soldiers that ended up um, changing sides and joining the Union. So um, this is, this was my family, the McKithens, and they were Unionists in the South. They did not believe in um, slavery and they did not want to secede. So, um, but th- these are two brothers of my direct ancestor, John, and they did indeed fight with um, the 7th Illinois Cavalry, Grierson. And if you watch the movie, Hank Warden, who plays Mose in the movie The Searchers, and Ken Curtis, they're two of the scouts in that movie. But there, in the movie, they dress in civilian uniforms, not Confederate uniforms, or civilian clothing, I should say. Also, we've got in the office the charge of the Irish Brigade at Fredericksburg. You know, they were in their winter coats, very brave charge, unfortunately, took too many casualties, and the brigade was almost decimated, was more than decimated, you know, by that charge. After that, they were really only a remnant of their former selves. Uh, I also have Stonewall Jackson at the Battle of Chancellorsville. We have the Confederates making a a roundabout side tracking uh, the Union front and outflanking the Union. We have a smaller vignette of... You know, the 54th Massachusetts making a charge commanded by Colonel Robert Gould Shaw. There are two other ones that really don't fit the rest of the collection, but that's part of, you know, we're not just the American Civil War. We have a collection of military policemen, and part of the reason we have that, I was a military policeman in Germany in 1973, 4, and 5. My father, after the war, he was a combat infantryman during the war. World War II. Yeah, right. World War II, but after the war, he was a military policeman in Germany. And then we have a handful of Crusader Knights. Uh, and they and, are beautifully done. Yeah, the Crusader Knights done. are, they're, you know, I mean, you can take a Civil War guy and he's blue or he's gray or gray's combination of different colors or whatever. But the, the Crusader Knights, they're beautifully painted. Some of them are painted in Russia. And the detail is almost impossible to imagine. I mean, you, you got to really stare at it with a magnifying glass to get an idea of, of the detail on some of these Crusader Knights. All of your soldiers are not from the same manufacturers. Where did the 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 beautiful Crusaders come from? Well, some of them fa- came from the St. Petersburg collection, owned by Thor. Uh, a lot of them are from King and Country. It's based out of Hong Kong. The pieces are painted in Hong Kong, and they're exported over to here, obviously. And there are a few others from some other manufacturers or whatever. First Legion, I think Conti. We have a couple of Conti Knights in there. Toy Soldiers is a worldwide hobby, even though there may not be that many of us. You know, when you go to a Toy Soldier show, sometimes you see dealers from all over the world. Some of the pieces occasionally right now, but they're getting to be too expensive, were, are sculpted in Russia and painted in Russia. But like I said, they've literally priced themselves out of the market. But most of the figures that we have are painted, you know, made and painted in, in China. But we have some of our own figures that we buy plastic figures, and we have them re-sculpted and change the heads and legs and arms around a little bit and then we have them sent to Sri Lanka and they're painted there and they come back to the US. So any way any way you ask them to paint them so Michael's very happy. Okay, so I guess we're going to be listening to Scott Amon next talk about Henry Fonda and Jimmy Stewart. After Scott Amon, we're going to be talking to Steve Forbes, you know, Forbes magazine and we're going to be talking about taxes and 
toy soldiers because his father had one of the largest toy soldier collections of all time. And I understand that was auctioned off for like $2.3 million some 20 some odd years ago. So he's going to talk about his father's hobby. And then we're going to be talking about taxes, tariffs, and what are we going to do with unemployed IRS agents? Poor dears. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress, a government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. This past October, the federal government made changes to the reverse mortgage loan program. Give me a call. Call now so our office can show you how these changes affect how much money you receive and how the annual mortgage insurance costs have decreased. My job is to help you find the best solutions for your retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646, or try me on the internet at www.quanticbank.com backslash fmelia. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. Hello, this is Father Frank Pavone of Priests for Life. In 1948, the U.N. published the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, stating that, quote, everyone has the right to life, liberty, and security of person. And it also states, everyone has the right to recognition everywhere as a person before the law. Isn't it time for nations to pay attention to these statements when they craft their policies on abortion? This is Father Frank Pavone, National Director of Priests for Life. Time now for Connor's Corner, where Mike takes a closer look at topics like history, politics, religion, and more. Here's Mike. Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. With me right now is Scott Amon. And uh, about a year or two ago, we talked about a great book that he had about John Wayne. And previously, we talked about another book that he had about the great director, John Ford. Now, more recently, he came out with a book about Jimmy Stewart and Henry Fonda, Hank and Jim. How are you doing today, Scott? I'm doing great. Great. Thanks, Mike. What's the purpose of the book? It's about Jimmy Stewart and Henry Fonda. Well, uh, they were best friends for 50 years, literally 50 years. And the interesting thing about it to me was not only had I not written a book like that before, I'd never read a book like that before, because most actors are fairly competitive. And in the modern era, like today, uh, it's also an itinerant business. You know, the work isn't located basically in Southern California. It's located all over the world. You go where the work is. So it's hard to sustain long-term friendships. Uh, in the era I'm talking about, the 30s, 40s, 50s, uh, all movie production was essentially centered in Hollywood. And theater was in New York. And that was basically all she wrote. So these guys met in New York in uh, the Depression. And they bonded, and they stayed best friends through all the years in Hollywood together. They lived together for a number of years before World War II, shortly after World War II as well. And uh, it's it was just a very intimate story about a familial relationship because Stuart was godfather to both Peter and Jane Fonda. 
as well as Hank's best friend. So I thought it was an interesting way to tell the story of that era of actors, of, of that generation of, of motion picture stars, through, not through their careers, but through their relationship. Now that you said they first met in New York, what were they doing, plays in New York? They were starving young actors. Well, technically, they met in 1930 at Princeton, where Stewart was an architecture student. And Stewart was in a triangle club, which was the drama club at Princeton. And they had hired a young actress named Margaret Sullivan to, to come up and do a show for them. And she came up to do the show, and she was followed by Henry Fonda, who was madly in love with her uh, and wouldn't let her out of his sight, which was probably perfectly appropriate. Uh, and he came up to Princeton to accompany her while she did the show for a few days. And he and Stuart met at that point, shook hands, said, how are you? And then they went on their way. Fonda went back to the Cape where he and Sullivan were working in, in rep. And uh, Stuart went back to architect, architecture school. Stuart graduates in 1932, decides he's not going to be an architect. He's going to be an actor, thereby stunning his father, who had paid for a Princeton education. Uh, Fonda, meanwhile, has married Margaret Sullivan, divorced Margaret Sullivan, and he's at loose in New York, can't get a job, terribly depressed over his failed marriage. And uh, they're brought together by Joshua Logan, who became a very famous theater and film director later on. Uh, they were all starving in New York. They were looking for a place to live. Uh, Logan said, well, why don't we all throw in together? So they got an apartment on the site of where Lincoln Center is now together. And they roomed together there for uh, three years, basically, until they both left for Hollywood within six months of each other. And when they got to Hollywood in 1935, they roomed together again in a rented place in Brentwood. Now, were they working in New York on the stage? Who was more successful? Uh, Stewart. Stewart got more jobs. Fonda would go long periods of time without work, and he'd have to do stage managing or stuff that wasn't even theatrical. At one point, he was working at a florist shop. Uh, except lugging around the heavy pot hurt his knees. That was, he said it was the lowest point of his life because not only was he not working in a theater, he couldn't even work in a florist shop. Uh, Stewart, although he was not a conventional leading man and he wasn't a conventional comedian and he was six foot four and weighed about 140 pounds, uh, a strange looking actor with a strange uh, presentation, but Stewart got jobs fairly quickly. And uh, on the other hand, when Fonda hit, it hit all of a sudden. He got a hit play in 1934 that ran for several hundred performances. The play got bought for the movies, and they took Fonda out to Hollywood to make the movie version. What was the name of the play, or the movie? The Father Takes a Wife. And it was uh, Fonda's first film directed by Victor Fleming, who went on to do Wizard of Oz and Gone to Wind. Wow. Okay. So then how does Jimmy Stewart get West? Uh, MGM hires him uh, a stock contract, a couple hundred bucks a week. They didn't know what to do with him. They just knew he was something interesting. So they hired him, and he came out to uh, Los Angeles, and Fonda was already there. Uh, Fonda picked him up in a Ford Roadster. <laughs> you know, he was nothing, nothing, nothing fancy for Fonda, and uh, took him to this house he'd rented in Brentwood next door to Greta Garbo. And they stayed there for two years together uh, with a re kind of revolving uh, group of people that would come in. Logan would come in for a while. Uh, Burgess Meredith would come in for a while. Uh, a wonderful guy named John Swope, who became Dorothy McGuire's husband and was a Life magazine photographer, came in for a while. So it was kind of a, basically it was a frat house atmosphere, you know, uh, and girls were, you know, circulating. And they had a fine old time. And then Fonda in 1937 got married for the second time to the mother of Peter and Jane Fonda. And at that point, uh, he bought a house of his own. Okay, so at that point, where's their careers in 1937? Uh, they're both about the same point. They're both rising young male leads, but they haven't hit big yet. 
that really happens around the same time. Again, there was an interesting synchronicity in their careers. They both hit it big about 1939, 1940. Stewart does You Can't Take It With You, and Mr. Smith goes to Washington for Frank Capra. And in 1940, he does the Philadelphia story, and that's three for three, three huge hits out of three. Uh, and Fonda does Young Mr. Lincoln in 1939, uh, Drums Along the Mohawk in 1939, both for John Ford. And triumphantly, he does The Grapes of Wrath for John Ford, three in a row. So they both peak at about the same time in 1940, and along comes World War II. Now, how was the relationship of John Ford and Henry Fonda? How did they meet, and how did they work together? Uh, they were both the 20th Century Fox. Uh, uh, Fonda was loaned out to do Young Mr. Lincoln, and Fonda and Ford hit it off. Ford just thought he had this wonderful stillness, this quality of stillness about him, uh, where he didn't seem to be acting at all. He didn't even seem to be in a movie at all. And then along comes Grapes of Wrath, and Ford is named to direct the picture, and he wants Fonda. Uh, Dale Zanuck, uh, who's producing the picture at Fox, isn't sure he wants Fonda because he's got Tyrone Power on contract and he'd rather do it with Tyrone Power. On the other hand, Ford rolled his eyes whenever Tyrone Power's name was mentioned. So uh, in order to do the picture, Fonda agrees to a seven-year contract with 20th Century Fox. Okay, I uh, rolled my eyes too when you said Tyrone Power. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I yeah, yeah. Imagine I, mean, I like film. Tyrone Power. Yes. Like, he's not an Okie. You know, there's no. just no way. All right. Uh, he's, he's not scruffy. So, so anyway, Fonda signs a seven-year contract with 20th, 20th Century Fox in order to get the uh, opportunity to do The Grapes of Wrath. And he never really forgave Daryl Zanuck because he hated being under contract. He hated most of the pictures Zanuck made him do. Uh, he loved Grapes of Wrath. He loved Oxbow Incident. And he loved The Lady Eve, which was on loan out to Paramount. But that's it. Okay, so we're getting into the World War, World War II. They both serve in the military. What do they respectively yes. do? Uh, Stewart is a B-24 bomber pilot. Uh, he had flown planes before the war. He had his own plane, which he would commute back and forth from uh, Hollywood to his parents' home in Pennsylvania. He would fly cross-country. So he had his own plane. He had like 400 hours by the time World War II comes. So he had a lot of experience, which very few people did at that point. So he was a natural for the Air Force, which at that point is a subsidiary of the Army. Uh, Fonda works in naval intelligence in the South Pacific. Uh, and they're both Stewart's off the off the screen for four years. Uh, Fonda's off the screen for three years, which is forever, you know, in 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 the movie business, which is always looking for the hot new thing. So they both came out of the war, and neither one of them knew if they were going to have a career at all. Stewart was especially uh, shaky after the war about acting and about the movie business. And uh, the first week or two on It's a Wonderful Life, which was his first movie after the war, was very rough for him because he'd forgotten how to act basically. He didn't. And also, there was the psychological thing of having gone through war, of led, leading his own bomber unit, uh, of seeing some of his men die, uh, of lucking out because he didn't die. He was actually very lucky. The guys loved to fly with him because he had this. He was just lucky. He never got. He got shot at, and there were there was flak damage to his planes, but nobody that flew with Stewart ever really got hurt. Fonda was never crazy about Hollywood. Uh, he was he, he was a serious actor. He, he thought of himself as a theater actor who'd gotten sidetracked, basically, by movies. So uh, he didn't have as much of a huge adjustment coming out of uh, the war as Stewart did. They, they both start acting again after the war. Henry Fonda again a couple times for John Ford or a few times for John Ford. Jimmy Stewart starts mm -hmm. back with Frank Capra. We get into the late 40s. Mm -hmm. We got a controversy in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. They're yeah, on opposite uh, sides of the, the fence. They're opposite politically. 
after the war, Stewart came back, uh, got mustered out, and his house in L.A. had been rented for the duration of the war, and the lease had six months to go. So he moved in with Stewart, with Fonda again. Uh, he moved into the playhouse that Fonda had built for Jane and Peter. Jane and Peter moved into the guest room in the house, and Stewart moved into the playhouse. Uh, and, you know, even when you now date, now when you talk to Jane or Peter, it's Uncle Jimmy this or Uncle Jimmy that. You know, he, was, he wasn't just their father's friend. He was part of the family, part of the extended family. Uh, but, yeah, they were – Stewart was a conservative Republican from the day he was born. Fonda was a liberal Democrat from the day he was born. And it had never really come up in all the years that they'd spent, you know, rooming together. Uh, but it came up in 1947 with the House and American Activities Committee investigation into the communist infiltration of Hollywood, which Fonda thought was absurd on the face of it, and Stewart thought it might be necessary. And they had a knockdown, dragout, verbal brawl over it. Nothing physical, but it got very heated. And each of them, at some point, realized that they were stomping around in very thin emotional ice. And they made a joint decision to never speak about politics again because it could jeopardize their friendship. And the friendship meant more to them than their political orientation. Uh, and even during Vietnam, when Stewart lost his son in the war, and all the reporters would bait him about his uh, goddaughter, Jane, and her anti-war activities, he would, never, uh, he would never speak out about her. I'm sure he was appalled. He would not jeopardize his friendship with, with his uh, friend, Hank, and he would not uh, 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 slam his goddaughter in print. Now, they were friends throughout the 50s into the 60s? Yes. Yeah, it never wavered. Fonda uh, moved to New York in 1947. He reinvented himself as a theater actor. He stayed in New York for the next 16, 17 years doing plays. And he would go back to L.A. to do a movie occasionally, you know, Mr. Roberts or uh, some of the Westerns he did. Uh, but basically, he thought of himself at this point as a New York actor, as a theater actor. And he had huge hits. He did Mr. Roberts for three years, two years on Broadway in a year on tour. Uh, uh, he did the Kane Mutiny Court Martial uh, for a year. Uh, he had a number of big hits. Uh, and he only went back to Hollywood in 1963, I believe, when he bought a house again and, and moved his base of operations to California. Now, later in their careers, they made a couple of films together. How did it work out on those films? They made three pictures together. Uh, a little movie called Honor Mary Way in 1948, uh, which is it's, it's a multi-part film. There's three or four different stories. They play a couple of itinerant musicians who aren't very bright and aren't very talented. And later on in the 60s, they made two Westerns, uh, Thunder Creek and the Cheyenne Social Club, uh, both of which they did only because it gave them a chance to work together. So later on in the career, did they have any regrets about their careers? I mean, you could have accomplished much more than Jimmy Stewart and Henry Fonda. Maybe no, step behind they were them. okay. They were okay. The only thing Fonda regretted was getting old and feeble. <laughs> <laughs> his, his only regret, his wish was to die on stage. That was his ambition. He just, he, he, if, if he lucked out, he wanted to just collapse and, and stop breathing on stage. And he damn near did. I mean, there was a point very near the end of his life when the doctor said, he's going to die if you don't get him out of this show. Because he just wasn't, his heart, he was going into a, a congestive heart failure. And he, he would really, that was his preferred method of, of, uh, of going. Uh, as it was, he died in the hospital like everybody else does. Uh, Stewart had a sadder end. Stewart's, uh, uh, as I said, one of his sons was killed in Vietnam, and his wife, who was 10 years younger than he was, died of lung cancer very suddenly, uh, and he never saw that coming. Uh, he always figured he would die first because he was so much older than she was, but instead she died, and he kind of retreated after that and left the world behind, 
and uh, except for his children, his remaining three children, uh, he wouldn't see anybody. Uh, this is Fonda was already dead by this time. Uh, but all of his other friends, he, he just he just closed the door to them, and basically he was in bed in his room waiting to die. And it's kind of sad. Obviously, you're a fan of, of both these guys. If you had to pick your favorite film for Henry Fonda's favorite film performance and your favorite film performance uh-huh. for Jimmy Stewart, what would they be? Uh, well, for Fonda, I love The Great Seraph. I think it's a, a signature performance in a signature film. I think I don't see how anybody could have played Tom Jode any better then or now. Uh, uh, Tyrone Power. So there's that. A lot of people love 12 Angry Men. I also love uh, The Wrong Man, a film he did for Alfred Hitchcock which lay down and died commercially. Uh, and only in the last 10 or 15 years has it really begun to gather a reputation. Uh, it's one of Hitchcock's few films outside of his comfort zone of suspense pictures. It's more of an existential noir. And Fonda is really remarkable. And, and completely, he gives himself completely to the film because he plays a man without any power whatever. He's completely acted upon throughout the picture. And at, usually stars don't play that guy. They play guys who, who force the action into, into movement. And here, Fonda's is playing a guy who's completely the victim of circumstance. It's a wonderful film and a wonderful performance. Stewart, I, I love It's a Wonderful Life. I love the westerns he did with Anthony Mann in the 50s. Vertigo, of course. I think Rear Window's a stunning performance in a stunning film. I think Rear Window's a perfect movie, really. And uh, Stewart gives a, 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 a clinic in acting for the screen. So those are my, that's my list of, of, uh, of great moments from them. Okay, the name of the book, Hank and Jim, The 50-Year Friendship of Henry Fonda and James Stewart, the author, Scott Amon. Thank you very much for being on Connor's Corner. Thank you, Mike. For our Ask the Lawyer friends and listeners, you can attend any of Connors & Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid, wills, and estate planning, and more. Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors & Sullivan's free seminars. On Monday, April 23rd at the Greenhouse Cafe, 7117 3rd Avenue in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m. At Buckley's, 2926 Avenue S in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn, on Wednesday, April 25th at 11 a.m., 3 p.m. p.m. and 7 p.m. and on Thursday, April 26th at the Montauk Club, 25 8th Avenue in Park Slope, Brooklyn at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. Can't go to any Connors & Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment. Make an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Just call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500. That's Connors and Sullivan, 718-238-6500, or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Find out what you're entitled to. Come to a Connors and Sullivan free seminar. For more information, call 718-238-6500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Connors and Sullivan, plan now for later. The Guild for Exceptional Children, or GEC, has been providing excellent care to children and adults with developmental disabilities since 1958. It is our mission to help build better lives and brighter futures for the people in our care. We serve nearly 1,000 individuals each day and are proud that 90 cents of every dollar is used for actual services. Please visit www.gecbklyn.org or call 718-833-6633 to learn more. 
Welcome to the Connor's Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. You know, a few years ago, I guess in 1996 and 2000, there was a gentleman running for president of the United States who made a lot of sense to me. Flat tax, strong military security, and unfortunately, he didn't get as much traction as some of us would have hoped. But at least we have the chance to talk to him today. How are you doing today, Mr. Forbes? Doing very great. Thank you. A few days ago, some of the people out in the audience saw that WCBS News had a story on my toy soldier collection, which was just a fraction of your father's toy soldier collection. What what got him interested in the hobby? Uh, I think it was uh, memories of uh, childhood. And uh, uh, as you know, toy soldiers are very evocative. Uh, they stir the imagination. And so uh, later in life, uh, I think he saw them, uh, some soldiers in a store and, you know, the old uh, childhood passions came back. <laughs> so he went after them. <laughs> I guess that's what happened to me. You know, when I was a young boy, I played with toy soldiers. And when I became a middle-aged man, I started buying them. Well, and uh, I think you almost appreciate them more as an adult than you do uh, when uh, you're a kid, where more often than not, you uh, end up, uh, they, they become uh, what you might call uh, toy casualties. <laughs> <laughs> But in a more serious vein right now, and, and you're the guy probably that should really comment the most on it, we're in a very difficult situation. We're talking about tariffs. We've had tax cuts. What's your sense of the situation as a whole of how President Trump is doing? Well, I think uh, no no one denies that uh, we've, uh, especially in the case of China, that there are some very real abuses going on there, uh, taking uh, know-how from uh, American companies severely restricting what they can do in the Chinese market when we're much more open in terms of uh, foreign companies, including Chinese companies, and, I, and the hacking that uh, is going on nonstop. So I think that I think everyone agrees, Europe and uh, everyone else, that these practices must be addressed and forcefully addressed. Uh, I would have thought that there are other ways to do it, such as aligning with the Europeans and uh, making uh, presenting proposals to the Chinese that uh, we're going to take action together if uh, these abuses are not uh, dealt with. I would have thought that would have been uh, that certainly would have been my approach, but uh, the Europeans did not react the way they did on the steel tariffs the way they did to the Chinese tariffs because I think everyone recognizes with the case of uh, China. Uh, measures have to be taken. And I just hope in the future we work with our allies on this. I think that'll have an even greater impact on getting China to uh, desist or at least uh, start pulling back on some of these gross abuses. So what's your general opinion of tariffs? Is it the right way to go, given the situation? Uh, well, I think a, a good thing to think of when we think of tariffs is to call them for what they are sales taxes. And when you say sales taxes, then hmm, doesn't sound so good. And so in the terms of the steel uh, sales taxes and the aluminum sales taxes, again, I think there were uh, better ways to go about it than uh, simply slapping on these sales taxes or threatening to, and then backing off. As you know, uh, Canada's been exempted, Mexico's been exempted, the European community's been exempted now, Brazil's been exempted, uh, Australia's been exempted, South Korea's been exempted. So uh, you, you, you go in with big guns and then you uh, withdraw. Maybe it's a good negotiating technique, 
But I think it does create a lot of uncertainty as to how it's all going to sort itself out. Now, changing the subject, we have a new tax law in effect. What do you think was right about the changes and what would you do further? Uh, Well, I think what they should make clear is that that tax bill was simply a down payment for more and better to come. And uh, I think they're starting to uh, move in that direction. The head of the House Ways and Means Committee, which is the tax writing committee in Congress, certainly uh, uh, Kevin Brady, there's his name, recognizes the need to do more. On the business side, they did a lot of good things, reducing the corporate tax rate, instant uh, write-offs when you make a capital and job-creating investments, making it easier to get all these uh, dollars that are parked overseas, abandoned overseas, brought back home to work. So all of that is to the good. But I wish they had made it simpler on the what they call pass-throughs, that is partnerships, LLCs, and the like, make it easier to uh, understand what the law says. So I hope they clean that up. Uh, but it's on the personal side where we need real work. Uh, they did some good things there, doubling the exemptions. That's good. But I think they've got to do more on personal cuts and reducing uh, the tax rates there. So when they go at it, I hope they reduce the capital gains levy. That always brings in instant money right away, as well as uh, encouraging investment, which we want more of. And on the personal side, uh, make sure we cut those rates and also make sure everyone gets a reduction in their taxes. One of the things I hope they consider is uh, the Social Security Medicare tax, which, you know, the payroll tax, what they call FICA taxes, which everyone pays from dollar one, uh, maybe suspend part of that as they did six years ago, where uh, your first two or three points is uh, suspended. So if you say earn as little as $10,000, you're still going to get several hundred dollars more in your take-home pay. So I hope they consider things like that. Make sure everyone is included and make sure they increase those investment incentives. Now, a lot of us out here thought or think that the flat tax is a great idea, but do you think it's ever going to be a possibility within our lifetimes? Uh, The answer is yes. It's going to depend on first candidates taking up the issue. In 2016, we had two take it up, Rand Paul and Ted Cruz, but they never really made it the forefront of their approach to uh, winning the presidency. So it got buried in their campaigns. And when they talked about it, it was kind of late. So it never got the attention that it should have had. Donald Trump, by the way, has told me he likes the idea Maybe uh, after this uh, tax bill, which he signed last December, uh, maybe in the future they can take up something radical like that. So uh, I don't rule it out. Forty countries and jurisdictions around the world have already done it. So we know it works. It's worked very well. So I hope that uh, either this president or the next president understands this is a winning issue that cuts across all age groups, (laughs) ethnic groups, political groups. Everyone knows the current system is a monstrosity and an atrocity. I agree with you that most people would agree it's a monstrosity. But at the same time, how do you you get around the argument? Well, you're giving such big breaks to the rich. And that's a tough political climate. And this political climate is a tough argument to sell. Well, you make sure that everyone gets a tax cut with the flat tax, uh, which I proposed 20 years ago. 
So no one is going to uh, be paying more. And uh, then you uh, make the point that no matter what your income, one, you have to file an income tax. You're paying fees on that. And uh, this way you get uh, much more exempt. You cut a lot of people off the tax rolls. For example, under my proposal, a family of four making $52,800 a year in salary would pay no federal income tax, and above that, only 17 cents on the dollar. So you remove, you give people tax breaks. Uh, everyone would like the idea of simplicity, where you could do it in a few minutes on a postcard or a piece of paper or a few uh, keystrokes on your computer, and uh, that's how you get around it. Now, one of the other objections, as you know, is, oh, we'll lose this deduction or that deduction, and even though you can show people that they're going to come out better, uh, with, with, with a flat tax, you have to give to get around that innate distrust that people have these days is uh, give people a choice. They can go with the new system or if they want for a period of time, they can stay with the old. See for yourself which one is better. I think that's the way to sell it. But what happens to all those government bureaucrats who may be out of work? Uh, well, even though I'm a conservative, I would support job retraining for IRS agents, uh, tax lawyers and the like and lobbyists. Remember, half the lobbying in Washington revolves around the tax code. So we'll retrain them for useful work like uh, Uber drivers. That's not a bad idea, but Uber drivers going out the window now. Anyway, everything's going to be self-driven in a few years. I'm not so sure it's going to be self-driven as soon as they uh, think. Uh, there'll be some of it in certain areas. But uh, as we saw in that horrible accident uh, a few days ago, uh, there's, there's a lot of work to be done before we can sit back and let them take over. Now, where does the public learn more? Obviously, Forbes magazine, but where does the public learn more about your ideas about the economy and taxes and so forth? Well, I have several books out on Amazon and elsewhere on the flat tax called Flat Tax Revolution. I discuss this and other ideas to get our economy really booming in a book called Reviving America, which talks about the flat tax and other things. So uh, the, the information is out there and... Uh, I hope more people get involved with it because Ronald Reagan was right. He said the way you change minds on Capitol Hill is not through sweet reason, but through the heat of public opinion. So we got to turn up the heat. Very good. Steve Forbes, thank you for being on Connor's Corner. And thank you, and uh, good luck with your growing army of soldiers. <laughs> it will be growing, yes. Thank you. <laughs> we just heard an interview a few minutes ago before Steve Forbes talking about Henry Fonda and Jimmy Stewart. And one of the things that's a little mystery in my life, we had an author here uh, about a year ago who said Jimmy Stewart was flying combat missions in Vietnam in the 1960s. Not that long ago, I was talking to Patrick Wayne, and remember, in 1965, he did the movie Shenandoah with Jimmy Stewart, and he says the man he saw there couldn't be flying combat missions. So I really don't know the answer. If somebody else out there does, please let us know. All right, now, next week... We're going to have, you know, a little bit of a different show again. We're going to have Jim Caviezel back. We're going to replay his interview. He plays, you know, St. Luke in the movie uh, Paul, the Apostle of Christ. And he does a very, he has a very strong performance in that. And he's also executive producer of that film. So he's going to talk about that film, which is very close to his heart. We're going to be going back a little bit in time for uh, New York Met fans. We're going to be talking to Skip Lockwood. And I don't know how many of you remember Skip Lockwood. I'm probably the only person out there who does, except for our old timers. But Skip Lockwood could bring heat, as they used to say. And he was 
he used to pitch three inning saves back then. And I mean, I think they overused him. Maybe he had a shorter career than he should have had, but he ended up going to MIT and he's not a stupid guy. And he has some observations about playing with the Mets in the 1970s and his baseball career, you know, in general. So who else do we have on next week, Chris? William Spencer Riley, the executive director of the Sheen Center for Thought and Culture, will be on with you. Okay. And the Sheen Center is truly a remarkable place. And, you know, put in the Sheen Center, I don't know exactly how you get there through the website, but if you put the Sheen Center, New York City, you're going to get there. And I mean, you should be a member because they're, they're, if you're a film buff like I am, you get an opportunity to see films in advance. I know a couple of years ago, people got to see Hacksaw Ridge filmed in advance, but no less that they get to see Hacksaw Ridge filmed in advance, but they got to ask Mel Gibson questions. If You know, Sheen Center, it's part of our culture. Learn more about it. In the meanwhile, if you want to learn more about estate planning, give us a call at 718-238-6500. 718-238-6500. I think David Kincaid is telling us to go home. Bye-bye, everybody. Heads bowed down, we're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. We are gathered, we are gathered here on hallowed ground, the voices raised, heads bowed down, we're gathered here on hallowed ground to sing this soul away. Whether you need help with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, living will, or protecting your assets from nursing home costs, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of your rights and interests. The professionals at Connors & Sullivan have been helping people like you plan their estates and protect their families for over 30 years. I'm Mike Connors. Come to our office for a free initial consultation. Talk with me or one of our experienced attorneys to see how we can help you protect your family, your assets, and your legacy. There is no one strategy that fits everyone, but the biggest mistake when it comes to estate planning is no planning at all. Call Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law today to schedule a free initial consultation with an attorney at any of their convenient locations in Brooklyn, Midtown Manhattan, Queens, and Staten Island. 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Or visit their website. Website, connorsandsullivan.com. The preceding pre recorded program paid for by Connors and Sullivan, attorneys at law, PLLC. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.